You know, we hear a lot about immigration and illegal aliens these days. And uh, terrorism around the world makes us all a little uneasy about the presence of aliens, illegal or otherwise. Well, the letter we're looking at from Peter is addressed to those who reside as aliens. And while it was originally written to aliens 2,000 years ago, like the rest of the Bible, it's also addressed to us. And even though our ancestors came from someplace outside of America, we seldom think of ourselves as aliens. But maybe we should. Maybe we should. You know, there's a good chance that Peter was writing to actual aliens. And while we may not think of ourselves as such, I'm sure that there are times when we do feel alienated from certain segments of society or even society as a whole. And we, like the original recipients of Peter's letter, people who had obviously been alienated by others need to hear that we have been chosen by God, sanctified by the Spirit, and accepted by Christ. You don't have to go very far into the letter to get that message. It's found in the first two verses in the greeting. It has, however, taken us a while to get there. <laughs> when we finished our study of Philippians and were ready to begin First Peter, I realized that we had arrived a week early. Verse 3 spoke of the resurrection and opened the door to a perfect Easter message. The first two verses, however, stood in the way, so I skipped over them and decided we would look at them when we began Peter's second letter. Well, that was my plan, until I realized we would also arrive a week early at another perfect passage for a special day, Father's Day. So we're going to turn back to the first verses of First Peter today and introduce the letter we've been looking at for the past eight weeks, okay? It begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Peter is writing to believers who have been alienated by others. He identifies the recipients of this letter as those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Roman provinces located in northern Asia Minor, or what is today Turkey. These are areas to which Paul was hindered by the Spirit from entering 
before being directed to go into Europe. And he may have been kept from going there because Peter was working there. Now, we don't have a biblical record of him being there, but he apparently had a relationship with the residents of the area, so it's quite possible that he had actually established the churches there. And he addressed the recipients as aliens scattered throughout the area. Now, most commentators spiritualize this and assume that he is referring to them as aliens because, as Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And the writer of Hebrews does refer to the heroes of faith as strangers and exiles on earth looking for the heavenly city to call their home. These believers, however, were actually aliens, foreigners, living in Asia Minor. And as we noted last week, many of them were slaves, having been captured during Rome's many conquests. They had become Christians. And as Peter was writing to them from Rome, Nero had begun persecuting Christians as a scapegoat for his burning the city as part of a urban renewal program. So the persecution Peter refers to may have come as a result of their faith because they were Christians. On the other hand, It may have come simply as a consequence of their being aliens scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Or it may have been a combination of both. There's no doubt that they were actually being persecuted for one reason or another. But if we read this letter solely as if addressed to those who are undergoing religious persecution... It really doesn't have a lot of relevance to us. Now, we live in a Christian or at least a post-Christian society. And while there is indeed discrimination against Christianity in our society, we're not actually persecuted for our faith. So when we read of the need to endure persecution for the faith, it doesn't seem relevant. Because few of us have had to face genuine persecution. Now, some would have us believe that's because we're not really living as Christians should. But it may just be that we're fortunate to live in a time and place where very little religious persecution is taking place. In other parts of the world, however... Where Christianity is a minority religion and Christians are actively persecuted, even killed for their faith, Peter's letter is very relevant. And First Peter is actually a favorite book of the Bible for Christians living in the midst of persecution because it encourages them and, and it gives them hope. But when we view it as being addressed to those undergoing persecution, we tend to read it with with more historical interest than immediate relevance. If we view it as being addressed to people who are socially alienated for a variety of reasons, I think we can all identify with it. We all know what it's like to be left out. To be ignored. To be made to feel like 
a fifth wheel. We all find ourselves in situations where we feel disenfranchised from those around us and feel unaccepted and have our self-esteem assailed. For some, those moments are few and far between, but others seem to live there. In either case, Peter has an encouraging word for us. And it begins with a realization that we have been chosen by God. Now, sometimes it's devastating when kids are playing and they're choosing up teams. And you're the last man standing. <laughs> but it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you're the last one to be chosen to be on the team if you know you've been chosen by God. And Peter said the recipients of this letter had been chosen, elected by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, the issue of election is one that theologians have debated for centuries. Some coming down heavily on the side of God's freedom to choose whomever he wants to save, and others on the side of man's free will. I really don't want to argue the pros and cons of Calvinism and Arminianism this morning, but I do believe Peter gave us a very important clue to understanding God's choosing when he said it's according to his foreknowledge. It may very well be that God only chooses to save those who he knows will accept his offer. Now, I don't profess to understand all the interrelated complexities of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but I do know that in 2 Peter 3.9, we read that God does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God would like to save everyone, but he won't. Because not everyone will respond to his offer to save them. And he knows who will and who won't. And he knows what it'll take to bring someone to belief in him without violating their free will. He's actively involved in choosing us on the basis of what he knows about us. The point is that if we have said yes to him, we have the assurance that he chose us even before we chose him. And that should make us feel really good about ourselves. We have been chosen by God. And even if we get left out of things and marginalized by society for whatever reason, because we are Christians or because of our heritage or economic standing or educational background or whatever, we know we have eternal value because we have been chosen by God. 
And we have been sanctified by the Spirit. To be sanctified is to be set apart, to put to proper use. And when Christ is our Lord, we are set apart to serve him. Now, we generally think of sanctification as something that happens to us as we yield to the Lordship of Christ over time. And in a sense, that is true. Our sanctification becomes obvious as we obey the one who set us apart. However, when God chooses us, he sends his spirit to work in our life. And it's actually the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit starts working in our life even before we acknowledge the fact that we have been chosen by God. Even before we accept Christ, the Spirit convicts us of the fact that we are sinners, that we cannot become righteous on our own, and that judgment is coming. The Spirit is at work in our life before we respond. And then the Spirit enlightens us. Concerning God's will, through the written word, and through that still, small voice that comes to live within us. And that spirit empowers us to obey what we come to understand. Sanctification, therefore, is actually more an activity of the spirit than it is our response to God's choosing us. Apart from him, we would never know or do his will. Apart from him, we could never be put to proper use. The use for which we were created in the first place. It's only through the sanctifying work of the Spirit that we are who we are today. And if we've yielded to the Spirit as he seeks to work in our life, We can feel good about ourselves, no matter how we compare with others or what others think of us. If the Spirit is at work in our life, producing the fruit that's making us more loving and patient and self-controlled, more Christ-like, it doesn't matter how popular or unpopular we might be. If we've been chosen by God and sanctified by the Spirit, we are accepted by Christ. And that's all that matters. We lost our relationship, our acceptability to God through sin and rebellion. But Christ died to make us once again acceptable to the Father. Now, God is perfect. And as much as he might have wanted to overlook our sin, he couldn't. To do so would have been to condone it. So he sent his son to pay the penalty for sin. And the penalty was death. Because of our sin, Jesus died. His blood was spilled. And his people were cleansed with the sprinkled blood of sacrifices in the Old Covenant. 
so we are cleansed by the spiritually sprinkled blood of Christ today. By faith, we ask him to cleanse us. And he does. He makes us acceptable to himself and to the Father. And that gives us confidence based not on what we've done, but on what he has done for us. Our confidence in Christ is not based on our activity or our involvement, our participation in church. Our confidence comes because of what Christ has done for us. Otherwise, we would never know if we've done enough. We would always be insecure in our faith. If we had to try to calculate, well, have I done enough to be acceptable to God today? That's a horrible way to live. If you understand you're acceptable to Christ because of what he did for you. And you've accepted his gift. There's no doubt of your standing before God. And that frees you to live a life that honors him without fear of falling short, of disappointing him. Or failing him. It's an amazing turn of thinking when it comes to a Christian walk. It doesn't matter how much good we've done, or how respected we are, or how the world will remember us. All that matters is that we have been made acceptable to God by the sprinkled blood of His Son. Even if we are nobodies in the world, we are somebody. If we have been chosen by God, sanctified by His Spirit, and accepted by Christ. And we can know that's true of us. If by faith we've joined ourselves to Christ in Christian baptism. Now I know... Some might object to the mention of baptism in this context. They they sideline baptism as some kind of a work. It's not a work. It's a response to the gift of God's grace. We can know our standing before God if we have joined ourselves to Christ in Christian baptism. And in the third chapter of this letter... Peter is actually going to say that baptism saves us. Not by the removal of dirt from the flesh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. In fact, some actually believe the entire letter of 1 Peter was originally a baptismal message. I won't go that far. But I will assure you that if by faith in the sprinkled blood of Christ you have been baptized into him, you can rest assured that you have been chosen by God, sanctified by the Spirit, and accepted by Christ. And all of that is a gift of grace. And that grace gives us peace in the fullest measure. 
even if you're an alien of one sort or another, and actually we are all aliens if we're in Christ. Our lifestyle differs from those around us. Our heritage is different. Our future is different because of Christ. So, yes, we are all aliens. And as aliens, we often live outside the loop of society, and that's not a bad thing. If you find yourself out there, don't let it distress you. Now, it's not our goal to intentionally inalienate, alienate those around us. But if it comes because of our faithfulness to Christ and our understanding that we've been chosen by him, sanctified by him, and are acceptable to him, then we just thank him for it. And we celebrate it. And we live it. If you have been washed in the waters of baptism and cleansed by the sprinkled blood of Christ, you have every reason to celebrate who you are because of what he's done and the gift of grace he's given to you. Let's celebrate that this morning. Let's stand and sing.